0: Turn to the Media Bibles tonight, to Acts in the first chapter, ministry team can continue to minister in prayer, that's fine, Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 15, I want to share with you a message tonight entitled, Replacement and the Unqualified, Replacement and the Unqualified, and as you turn there to Acts chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 15 down to the... Conclusion of this chapter, just want to mention that we've brought some products that are out there. We haven't got many left from where we were this morning, but are some CDs, The Power of Alignment, Time to Reposition. And we've brought some books with us as well, uh, Making Your Faith Work, Getting Answers to Prayer, How Faith Operates, Certain Principles and Processes of Dynamic Faith. And my own story of how I got saved from prison is there as well. Acts chapter 1, reading verse 15 Reading from the New King James Version. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. And said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us, obtained part in this ministry. Now this man perched a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, all of his entrails gushed out. It became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akal Dama. This is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph, called Basibus and Surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry of apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven Apostles, and God will add His blessing to His most holy and sacred word to us this evening. Amen. I want to speak about three particular characters tonight in the brief time I have left. And I really want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. I'm going to make this statement first, which will get you on the edge of your seat. Not everything you read in the Bible means it's right. Now that should get you on the edge of your seat and mad at me, especially if you're a raving mad evangelical. Good, that's the idea. And I'll explain as I unfold this passage to you. It's not a passage that you will hear many preach about, but what we have here is a replacement. Judas has transgressed. He's betrayed Jesus. Peter, on the day prior to Pentecost, after the ascension of Christ in chapter, in the first beginning of chapter 1, he stands up amongst the apostles and he makes this claim. He says, Now that one has fallen, the Psalms say, or the prophecies say, that someone should take his office. So Peter stands up and he makes this declaration. And there are two people, Joseph and Matthias. It's interesting that what he says is he prays, he said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men, so he prays and then casts lots. In other words, he prays and then gambles. It's like my mum said to me when she first became a Christian, Richard, I'm praying to win the lottery so I can give it to the church. I said, mum, it's not how it works. But nevertheless, if you do, give it to the church. And so they pray, you know the hearts of all men, show us which one we should choose. Now, let me just let you in on some, not deep theology, but just by way of introduction, that there there, there is always meant to be 12 apostles. We know that from the book of Revelation, because in the book of Revelation, it speaks about the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 12 speaks about the 12 apostles being the foundation stones in heaven. So there are always 12 apostles. It's interesting that Peter assumes this position of authority because from Matthew's gospel, we know Jesus said to him, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and upon this rock I'll build my church. So Peter claims some form of superiority over the apostles. He stands up and he makes this declaration. Now I want you to note something. Three characters I want to talk about. The first two is Judas and Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus forgives him and chooses to make him one of the lead apostles. Judas betrayed him once and commits suicide. Jesus loved Judas just as much as he loved Peter. But let me give you some insight into Judas. Judas was suffering with great depression. The reason why people commit suicide is because of depression. However, that depression comes, maybe through a break of relationship, maybe through drug taking, maybe through whatever it is because they're trying to suppress things in their lives that they don't want to deal with. And so depression haunts them, it's with them all the time, and so the only way out seems to be to take their own life. But let me tell you something, your life is not yours to take, God give it to you, and God is the one who takes it away. But sadly, Many of us have experienced in our own lives and families and people that we know, people who have committed suicide. And there's no real answers that we can give to that. But suffice to say, this is what Judas went ahead and did after he was convicted by what he had done by betraying Jesus. Yet Peter finds forgiveness. Somehow in the economy of God, that seems, for the logic thinker, that seems unfair. God is so loving, why forgive Peter in this way make him a lead apostle? Judas is not chosen. It's not my subject matter tonight, but just a question to ask and to think and ponder on. And maybe speak amongst yourselves and maybe pray about it and read the scriptures more and find out what that's about. But what happens is he does this. He names two people, Joseph and Matthias. And they pray and then they cast lots. The the lots fall upon Matthias. Matthias is made the twelfth apostle. Now, does anybody know where the saying, the number 13 unlucky, comes from? Anybody know? I'm going to tell you. It comes from the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, there were 13, 12 disciples, including Jesus, 13. The 13th disciple was Judas. That's where the saying, unlucky 13, comes from. Its origins are from there. Through the ancient writings, you can find that, because I'm deep in all that. I know all that, you see. But this passage is interesting, because... Peter gets up, and I'm going to submit this to you tonight for your consideration. I believe, and many scholars do as well, from some of the most um, astute theological institutes around the world, believe that Peter may have made a wrong decision. How many know leaders can get it wrong? We don't get it right all the time. Uh, Well, don't be too enthusiastic about that. I shall report you to Pastor Colin on his return your name and your address should be struck off the list. So, I'm joking. And so he stands up and many scholars would agree with me that Peter made a decision in the flesh and not in the spirit. You find this in commentaries. If you need any of your modern commentaries, Matthew Henry's and others and Adam Clark's and if you want to go deeper, Barnes and people like that and Fawcett and Brown and all these kind of people that Bruce normally uses for his sermons. and where he gets the oaths from and the vows that he was preaching on earlier. But what you find is this, that many people believe that he made a choice in the flesh and not in the spirit. And let me tell you something about when you make a choice, when you make it in the flesh and not in the spirit, there are consequences. Always consequences. Now, essentially, interesting, I'm going to introduce a third character. His name was Saul. He later became known as Paul. In Acts chapter 7, he is the one who actually uh, give the go-ahead for the Stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in the first first century church. When the church was birthed in Pentecost, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is the first Christian martyr ever recorded in scripture for us in the New Testament church. And it was Paul who endorsed that killing of, of Stephen. And so here we have a man called Saul who kills Christians. He's not just a bad person, he kills Christians. He executes them, he murders them, he hates them. He is the most unqualified person, an undeserving person ever for God to use. Ever. And scholars believe that Peter made a decision far too quickly than he ought to have done. And sometimes in leadership it's worth waiting to make the right decisions rather than making them too quickly. The scripture says, lay no hands on any man too quickly. And what he does, he makes this appointment. And then later on in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 9, Saul is on his way to... To persecute Christians again. And he's struck by a light. Falls off a horse. Sees Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. Changes his name to Paul. He's converted to Christianity. He then starts preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles start to become Christians. Believing Jesus as their saviour. Not Messiah, but saviour. Because the Gentiles were not waiting for a Messiah. They didn't need a Messiah. never believed in a Messiah. But the Jews certainly did. And so what you find is this. Is that Peter... At this time, he hears about this conversion, and Barnabas goes and finds this man called Paul, who was known as Saul. Because by this time, this man called Paul, not only is he preaching the gospel, but he's planting churches everywhere. He goes from the capital of Syria, which was Damascus, which is on your TV screen every single day, which is where Paul was from, Syria, Damascus, he leaves that place, he makes his way, eventually, finally, without going into too much detail on the historical account of it, he finds himself in Rome, eventually where he ends up, which is part of a prophecy. In Rome, we don't know how Paul dies, scripture is silent. However, historians tell us that it's probable that he was beheaded under the hand of the emperor Nero. And so what we have is this journey of this man called Paul, who travels from damascus thousands of miles with no modern means of transport nothing like that not the stuff that we have today where you can jump on the tube and get across london none of that he traveled thousands and thousands of miles planting churches everywhere he went in fact most of the letters that you read in your bible were written by his hand or one of his scribes that were with him he wrote to the churches that he planted it's not the church in rome they had christians already got there that were converted, and they, were, they had already started the church, but he wrote to them, he was wanting to go and see them. But churches such as Philippi and Corinth and Ephesus, and all these churches, Paul was responsible for planting them. He was in Ephesus for two years, after two years he pioneered the church, then he left and moved on and planted another church. Why am I telling you about this? Well, some of the scholars believe that the twelfth apostle should not have been Matthias, it should have been Paul. It's interesting that after this particular reading I've read to you, Matthias isn't mentioned ever again. Yet Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament. There is a debate whether or not Paul is an apostle, because there was a certain criteria in the New Testament for you to be an apostle. You had to have walked with Jesus, been witness of his resurrection, been there at the time with his ministry, with him, to be an apostle. This was the criteria that Peter was setting forth here in our reading. And so Paul didn't fit that criteria. I love the fact, two things. Number one. Totally unqualified, didn't fit the criteria. And planted more churches than any of the other apostles. Yabba dabba do. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly about this passage as I was reading and been studying it for some weeks. And he said this to me, he said, Richard, you know what? I want to take the most unqualified people. I want to take the people who actually who don't have a Bible college degree and don't have a PhD and have never... I want to take the foolish things of the world to confound confound the mighty and the wise. I was in a reformed Baptist church some years ago, I got up to preach, I did an exposition on a passage in the book of Hebrews and Jesus being the great high priest, I preached for 35 minutes because that's all they give me. They were tight, they were reformed Baptists and after I finished preaching, a gentleman came up to me in a pinstripe suit, very, very well pressed shirt, smart tie because a comb over because he didn't, want to, he didn't want to admit defeat. Half cut glasses, very well spoken. And he said this to me, he said, young man, he says that was the, one of the finest expositions of scripture that I've heard in a very long time. Where did you study? Was it Oxford or Cambridge? I said, in my own Welsh immovable way, I said, nor but Swansea prison. If you know my story, oh, and he, he, he moved out of the way very quickly when I mentioned that to him. But by reading the Bible, first year of being a Christian, 12 months read the Bible from cover to cover three times. Every single word never missed it out, didn't jump through a Leviticus, read it. I say to folks in our church when they become Christians for the first time, we get people saved. Since we started the church two years ago, we've now planted onto two other campuses and the church is just continuing to grow. We've seen people saved every single week, apart from two weeks in two years. And that two weeks, the staff, well, I won't tell you what I said to them, but never mind. But it's interesting that in all that time, we preach the word, and the word is what is changing people's lives. When I read the Bible from cover to cover, the Bible taught me to read, the Bible taught me to write, the Bible taught me to speak, at that time it was the authorized version, so I was using the these are thousand the where goes thou, no it's not this, and all those. But the word of God educated me. The scriptures educated me. I got kicked at a school of 15 for taking magic mushrooms, seeing things. I shan't go into detail, but they're not the kind of mushrooms you want with your breakfast. But by simply reading the scriptures, God profoundly changed my life. To the point that I could no longer keep what I was learning to myself. I had to share it. So I started preaching the gospel, preaching the word. And then God opened doors into all kinds of places, uh, to all kinds of audiences and church congregations and such forth. But here's, here's what I want to try and communicate tonight in, in, in the few minutes that I have. Whatever your inadequacies are, or whatever your failures are, and whatever you weigh up as qualifications that do not match the place where you think you need to be for God to use you, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. The reason why God takes unqualified people is so that He always gets the glory and He always gets the honor for because people know... You're a clown, and they know that you can't do it, sweetheart. They know it must. There must be a God. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like I know that sister, and trust me, mm-hmm, I'm telling you, there must be a God, and when there seems to be no way, He always makes a way. You see. The difference between someone who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't is this. Someone who knows Jesus can be going through hell in their lives, come to church on a Sunday night like this, lift their hands up and worship Jesus, throw off every weight and the sin that so easily besets you, throw your hands in the air, realize that you're a blood washed born again, spirit filled, tongue talking, demon crushing, Bible believing on your way to heaven, believer in Jesus Christ, and you've got a smile on your face and non-Christians don't understand it. It's because we have a hope that is steadfast and certain, that's gone through the curtain, touching the throne. They don't understand that. They never understand that. Why you can smile when all hell is breaking out against you, and you can rejoice, and you can dance, and you can get your thing on, and all that? Listen, there's only one reason: it's because of Jesus. You don't qualify for His grace. There are no, there's no, there's no like I got to keep these ten commandments for His grace. No. Hey, listen, you, you've all broken the commandments. You bunch of sinners, you. Welcome to the gospel. That's why it's called the gospel. It's called good news. There's a lot of preachers preaching bad news. Yeah, I tell you no, you're a rotten lot. No, the good news is Jesus loves you. He paid for your sins and he's forgiven you. And your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, let's come back to this passage. So Paul... Now it's interesting that Paul actually makes the claim of being an apostle himself. When he writes to some of the churches, for example the church at Rome, this is how he begins his letter. He says to the church in Rome, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the gospel. He calls himself an apostle. When he writes to the church at Corinth, one of the most outrageous incredible churches that you've ever imagined in your life there is more sin going on in that church than any of the other churches there is sexual impropriety there's promiscuity there's spiritual people trying to all kinds of um on a power trip you know prophesying to one another over each other Thus saith the Lord, give me hundred pounds and all that. All kinds of manipulation going on. As Bruce was preaching earlier about people using the name of the Lord in vain. You know when people say, "Thus saith the Lord," you know the scripture says, "Take not the Lord's name in vain." When you speak those words, if it is not the Lord speaking, you are taking the Lord's name in vain, which is blasphemous. Saying, "Oh Jesus is not." That's not. Just blasphemous, Blasphemy. blaspheme in the name of Jesus is when you take his name in vain. is when you use it to manipulate people to gain what it is you desire. That is the wrong use of it. And, and sadly the churches, and, and I've been around the world a bit, and I've been to some of the biggest and smallest churches, and people abuse the name of Jesus. Thus saith the Lord, there is a person here tonight, and you're going to give me ten thousand dollar pounds. I mean, I mean... How many of you know that if you were up here and you had the mic and you could say that and it would happen, you'd do it like? No you wouldn't because you shouldn't but you get my point. Thus saith the Lord, you come to me tonight and I'll give you an anointed handkerchief. You take this handkerchief away and I promise you that your bank balance when you lay it on the cash machine on the ATM your balance shall treble. But before thou takest this handkerchief, thou to send me in twenty-five dollars, er, pounds. Here tonight I have miracle water. For your minimum gift of thirty pounds, I shall give you this water. And this will cause miracles to happen. This is spring water from Wales. And it's anointed. You know, it's sad when we've brought Jesus down to our world when we've used certain objects as points of contact, which is a cultish practice, by the way. Points of contact are cultish practices, not biblical. I'm going to, love. I've only just started. You wait till I get going. We'll be climbing the walls in a minute. And sadly, we have used the name of the Lord in vain to get what we want and what we desire. And we've made decisions in the flesh. And people have been manipulated. The people of God have been manipulated. Now we thank God that there are principles set in the church. We know there's an anointing. We know the Holy Spirit. We know we should be generous. We give, we tithe. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking when the people of God are abused for their finances. When preachers are using the name of the Lord in vain. See, when you have a desperate person who's got cancer and you tell them, the Lord said to me, if you do this, then the Lord will heal you of cancer. A desperate person will do anything they can to be healed. I've had people in my own life who've had cancer, who've been desperate. Uh, An old preacher used to say to me, you see, a a thirsty horse would drink dirty water. Because desperate people do desperate things. And I want you to know tonight that everything you need... Everything you need is not in a handkerchief, it's not in a bar of soap, it's not in water. Everything you need is in Jesus. Amen. Don't go to the phone, go to the throne. let me say that again. You Listen to what I said. You don't go to the phone with your credit card, you go to the throne. Amen. Because you have access into the Holy of Holies because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can come with your petition, with your need, in, in a time of great need, you can come to Him, any time, bow your knees, and you have as much access to God as the most anointed preacher on this planet. You do know that, don't you? You need to, you need, I, I know you, theologically you know it, because this is a great church, it teaches you this stuff, but you've got to let it drop from your head down to your heart. You don't need to come to God groveling, He is your Father. And He loves you. And if you come to Him in a time of need, the Bible says, it tells us clearly, we can come into His presence and we can say, Father, I I need you right now. I need you in this situation. And He hears you every time. See, heaven might be silent, but it's never deaf. God always hears your prayers, the cries of your heart. Every tear you have ever shed, God has bottled. The Bible says that in the book of Revelation. He has bottled every tear. Not one is He allowed to drop to the ground. He has seen the cry of your heart. And Paul and Peter, two different characters. Peter makes a decision. He uses scripture to appoint Matthias, which we hear nothing about. Yet Paul is the one that is the most unqualified out of all of them. Yet we read more about him than anybody else. It's interesting, in the book of Peter, when Peter is writing a little bit later on, he actually talks about Paul, and actually he, he actually explains what Paul is teaching is scripture. What he is writing is on par with Scripture. For that to happen, you had to be an apostle. And so, what Peter was saying was he was recognizing his apostleship. Now, here's what I want to say to you if Paul's apostleship had not been recognized, we wouldn't have two thirds of the New Testament. Because he wouldn't have been included in what we call the canon of Scripture. Because he wouldn't have met the criteria. So, just imagine you're here tonight. And you know the significant impact that the Apostle Paul had upon this world, don't you? Which is just huge. Planting churches everywhere, doing what he did for Jesus, seeing miracles, but in the midst of all that, great persecution, suffering, things he went through. But here's the thing he made a significant difference with his life. He did something with his life that mattered. He made a difference. He made a difference. And the question I want to ask you tonight in closing is this What are you doing with your life that's going to make a difference? From the moment you were born, one day you will die, and on your gravestone will be the date that you were born and the date that you left this life. In between those two dates, what will you have done with your life for Christ that really matters and is significant? What will really matter? Does living in the right house matter to Jesus? Having a big car, having all the money you want in the bank and living the life of Riley? Is that what Jesus is truly interested in? Answer, no. Matthew 25, Jesus said it like this. You saw me in prison and you came and visited me. I was naked and clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was homeless and you took me in. Those who do these things are doing the will of my father. Why? Because they're doing it not to them but unto me. Now this isn't the social gospel but there are social consequences to following Jesus. And I ask myself every single day if Christians and believers would ever go and I challenge them with this. Which of those things are you doing? If you're doing none of them, I question your salvation. Oh, pastor, you're casting doubt on us now, the spirit of doubt. No, it's called the truth. And the truth can set you free. So if you ain't doing it, guess what? You need to start doing it. Not to gain salvation, but that is because you have received salvation. And he who has been forgiven much, loves much. So, when is the last time you did something for somebody else? Because we spend eighty percent doing things for ourselves and twenty percent doing things for other people. I remind my staff every single day. Pastor Andrew's here with me. My executive pastor will tell you. I say this to them in every staff meeting: We're not here for ourselves. We're here for other people. We're not here. There are no superstar preachers anymore. Those who claim to be so, some of you are hooked on them. You need, you need rehab. <laughs> the days of the superstar preacher have gone ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's about serving. It's about servanthood. Because he who serves is greater than the one who... There's no such thing as the superstar preacher anymore. You see, I've got to get... And I've been trying to get this into our folks. The great Bible teachers, we need them. Prophets, we need them. Evangelists, we need them. And teachers, and all, we need those things. But let us not worship those things. Make idols out of them where we can't live without them. I need my injection of Joyce Meyer. No, you don't, sweetheart. Nothing no, wrong with Joyce Meyer. She's a great speaker. Great speaker. And a great encourager. But I'm trying to get a point to you. I use her as an example because she's one of the most. Popular speakers on Christian television So, I'm, and, and I thank God for her But I'm using it as an example If you can't get up in the morning you need your coffee And you need a fix of Joyce every morning There is something wrong with you And the ladies When you wake up in the morning with your coffee This is the first thing you should be getting into Let me tell you something You cannot live off someone else's revelation You can't. You cannot live off someone else's information. You have got to get into this book and get some inspiration of the Holy Ghost and get your own revelation that will change your life. See, when Jesus said to Peter, you know, all these things have happened, but my Father in heaven has revealed these things to you. Nothing else. My Father in heaven. When you get a revelation from God yourself, I'm telling you now, it'll change your life. You know why preachers get excited when they preach? Because they've been studying and praying and reading. They get a revelation. They come downstairs after getting a revelation. Preach it at you and they're all fired up. And you're sitting there thinking, what's he jumping up and down for? What's he so excited about? It's because he's got something and you ain't. And he's trying to impart it to you. But wouldn't it be awesome if we came to church together, and the Bible says, this, actually, it actually talks about getting a psalm, a hymn, a song, a spiritual, and getting, a, and getting your own revelation from God. Not looking for hand-me-outs all the time. Well, bless me, bless mine, bless ours. Preacher, please preach what I want to preach today. Lay your hands on me, because I want some of your anointing. No, sweetheart, you ain't having none of my anointing. It's all mine. Get your own. When John tells us, you have an anointing from the Holy One, you need not demand any man teacheth you, but you have already received an anointing. Listen, I don't need any man to lay hands on me for an anointing. I've already got an anointing. Hallelujah. I've just got to know how to get it out. I've just got to know how to release the anointing to do what it does. And the anointing does do things. Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set the captives free. What else does it do? Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It ain't just the pastoral team, the preachers and the anointed men of God. I'm telling you, the most frail person, the oldest person in this church tonight can lay hands on people and pray for them and they can be healed in Jesus' name. The oldest person in our church is in her 90s. Her name's Dorothy. She's my greatest fan. She's great. She sits on the front row every single week. And that woman is full of the Holy Ghost, full of the anointed. I tell you, when she gets to pray in, things shake, things move. No one knows who she is. She never comes on the platform. She never she never preaches. She she's just an old lady. It sits in the church every single week. On the front door, on the left hand side, just by there. Every single week. She is there, never misses a service. But I know when she prays, heaven hears. So does the demons. In 1993 when I became a Christian, I close with this, which means nothing. 1993 I was preaching, I was a young preacher then back in those days, I was 18 years of age. And I was in a small little church in a town in Wales called Risca. It was a Pentecostal church, it was a green hut. You know, back in them days buildings didn't really matter to us Pentecostals, we met anywhere and everywhere. We'd find a shed and we'd meet in it and turn it into a Holy Ghost place, you know. It's where women wore hats and we wore... Proper clothes and didn't wear makeup and didn't go to cinemas. And we looked like we were all ready for the grave. But you know, we laugh about those times, but I tell you, there was power. I remember this Pentecostal church I went to and I preached. And I I was a young preacher. I mean, I was useless. I mean, I I was preaching. I had Noah in the fiery furnace. I had Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the ark. Um, It was all messed up. I didn't know what I was saying. In this church, thankfully, there were only six people at the time. Five were women. One was a bloke. And there was a woman on the organ called Beryl. She wore a tea cosy on her head. She was a Welsh lady, lovely lady Beryl. She sat on our organ and we sung sung things like, He abides, he abides, hallelujah, he abides with me. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the pilgrim away. Because the comforter abides with me. My shackles are gone, my spirit, And we used to dance like that as well. It's called the Pentecostal hop. <laughs> Anybody remember it? Some of you are like, oh, what's he talking about? Never mind. You've been saved from all of that. Don't worry about it. But there were good times. And these, these five women, after I preached, said to me, and they were all old ladies, they said, Pastor, you got the Holy Ghost, but you ain't got the fire. I said, what? I speak in tongues. Ah, but you haven't got the fire. We are going to pray for you. I said, oh, I appreciate your prayers. No, no. They grabbed a chair. It was a wooden floor like this. They grabbed a chair. They put a chair on the floor. They went, sit down there. Now, when you've got five Holy Ghost women in their 60s, you do as you're told. You don't argue. You go, yes, ma'am. So I sat down on the chair. And these ladies laid their hands on me, all of them on my head and shoulders, and began to pray in the Holy Ghost. All I can tell you is this, when those women prayed, they shook. So as they were praying I was like this. Everywhere. So violent was the shaking that the chair I was sitting on was moving. And I noticed somehow we had moved, the chair had moved with the vibration from one side of the room to the other side of the room. But the power of God and the Holy Ghost and the fire of God that night came into my life, ladies and gentlemen. And I can tell you this. Something happened to me. I cannot explain it to you. I spoke in tongues, I was baptized in the Holy Ghost, but something happened to me. And I do, I, I, I don't know if there's any theological position for this, but when he talks about being baptized, one will come after me, you will baptize in the Holy Ghost and fire. I got fire that night that's never gone out. In my bones I can't help it Wherever I am I was in Asda the other day I was doing my shopping And you know when you feel A Jesus moment coming on And you think this is the wrong place But the Holy Ghost is doing something here now And I'm going to have to let out something I'm going to have to say something Or shout something Or sing something Or do you know whatever And I tell you this When that happens When you're in a queue in Asda It's like the parting of the Red Sea The queue just moves out of the way And you get your shopping done In half the time Ladies and gentlemen Mm. Have you ever been in a lift in a hotel and you just in there and you don't you just you get you know you get the warmth of the Holy Spirit you just know you know what I'm talking about if you're born again you've got the Holy Ghost and you just you're like hmm, hmm, mm, mm, mm I mean it's not you're you're not eating or trying to get something out of your teeth you and there's people next to you and you think mm, my love mm, mm. you 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 know what I'm talking about it's like almost a, a spiritual fit and and there's people in the lift and you're like mm, Hallelujah Glory I tell you you will freaking right out They will get off Of the next floor Every single time Every single time And I finish with this Which means nothing I tell you that For this reason I am the most Unqualified person To do what I do Think about it I look after Ex-convicts And drug addicts Ha, ha, I am the most unqualified. Because I, I was a heroin addict. I was in jail. I don't qualify. I, got, I left school, I told you, no degrees, no education, nothing. The only degrees I knew were on a thermometer. <laughs> but when God filled me with the Holy Ghost and with fire, this most unqualified most unqualified person God has taken hold of, chosen, and I believe this for everybody here tonight, not just the preacher, chosen by God, taken around the world, preaching the gospel, traveling, doing all kinds of stuff, and I, I, big head and all that, so on wind loads of stuff that I, I've done in my ministry in life, and it's only just begun, I know. But God takes the most unqualified people to do the most amazing things. And I really want to encourage you tonight as a congregation, you're a KT, whoever you are, and those of you who are watching this online, listening to the live broadcast, I really want to encourage you, really encourage you. But God wants to use you. It doesn't matter how unqualified you feel you are. I'm too old, Pastor Richard. No, you ain't. Don't you ever say you're too old. Because God will surprise you. You will never. I don't have enough money. We've never got enough money. I haven't. I. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand theology. And God wants to take you tonight, the most unqualified person, fill you with His Holy Spirit. And it's time for some of you. I know you live in different suburbs of London. You come in, you come out, and wherever you're from. Kent, some of you from the area? You know, outside the area, you're in your cell groups. So. On. Things that you do here in ministry. Listen, some of you ain't doing nothing. You're just sitting in the church. You come and you love the ministry. It's time for you to step up. It's time for you to step up and say, Lord, here I am, use me. It's time now for me to do something in my life. Something significant. It doesn't matter how unqualified you feel. Some of you need to get into the Bible school. You need to enroll. This September, into this Bible school. You, why do I need to enroll, Pastor? Because they want to train and equip you. Even though you feel unqualified. We're all unqualified. We're all unqualified. It's only because the Holy Ghost we different. That's what makes the difference There's two things you need to ask yourself Have I got the Holy Ghost? Have I got the Holy Ghost? Because God wants to use you It doesn't matter if you failed him Like Peter denied him three times You've made mistakes Listen, it's not how you start in life It's how you finish Paul said, I've run the race I've kept the faith Now this is laid up for me What did he do? This man Paul, most unqualified Did more than anybody else in the New Testament Because the Holy Ghost was in his life So I really want to encourage you to stand right now Altogether let's stand and I want to encourage every single one of you as we close. And I hand back to Pastor Bruce. I want to challenge you. Don't don't leave the service because you're standing. Or I'll chase you out through the door. Down Notting Hill. I don't care. And we are we on Notting It's what? Notting Hill. That's what I just said, didn't I? So I'm Welsh you see, boy. It's just, uh, don't worry about... You need to get used to my accent, because when you get to heaven, this is how we're going to be speaking. (laughs) Well, that's what Pastor Wynne Lewis always told me anyway, and because he's from the same town as me, I believe him. Hallelujah. So I really want to encourage, and I want to challenge you tonight, if you feel unqualified, you're the best candidate for God to use. That is amazing because you think like it's the, the super spiritual ones. No, they're the ones who church hop. You know when they're praising God like this? They're not. What they're saying is, bye pastor, won't be back again. <laughs> Sometimes it's the most quiet person in the congregation. The unassumed, <laughs> unassumed person. The person that doesn't dress the way we think and we... You know, i am finished with this which means nothing. You know you know the best evangelists in our church, and I say this respectfully are the oddest people we call them the oddballs in our church. Yeah you got one or two years. but let me explain what I mean they're just nuts they don't care. They'll talk to lampposts about Jesus they preach to dogs and cats and bushes and trees but in the middle of it, they get... Am I, am I, am I telling the truth, Anne? Am I telling the truth? And they get people in. They bring people to the church, and people get saved every single week. I love them. They're the most radical people in our church. The Christians haven't brought anybody since Noah built the ark. The mature ones. But the ones who are like, you know, Yeah, pastor, what's up?